It is the People Show, hour two. Satyar Shaw with Randy Janda, Josh Elliott Wolf producing. You can always get in touch with us on our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650 650. And uh, we are going to talk to Julio Caravetta coming up next segment about the BC Lions and their matchup coming up against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And we are going to chat with Mike Dugar covering the Seattle Seahawks for the Athletic coming up in a few minutes as well. And the first hour, we got into the Nazem Kadri stuff, him signing with the Calgary Flames, what that means for the Canucks and JT Miller. And rest assured, we'll have more takes and thoughts on the Vancouver Canucks, the free agent market, trade market, and everything else coming up too. So in the 2 o'clock hour, a lot more coming up on the JT Miller front. And also, Confession Friday on a Thursday is coming up at 3, and Don't At Me is coming up at 3.20. So a lot in store for you today. Got a busy show, man. We do. Busy show, and uh, I've seen some of those confessions come in already. Keep sending them in. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Yes. Uh, we'll see how rattled we get uh, with those confessions. And yeah, a lot of thoughts here on the JT Miller stuff. Sam texts in and says, if the JT, if they trade JT Miller, I hope Pedersen plays like a first-line player instead of a, instead of a third-line player in the first half of the year. Uh, and others saying, how do you keep... Uh, you know, um, PD, if you sign Miller, we'll talk all about that and more as the show goes on. But as promised, it's time to turn our sights to the Seattle Seahawks and the NFL. Let's welcome in a good friend of the show from The Athletic, Mike Dugar. Always a pleasure getting you on the show, Mike. And how is it? How is uh, training camp so far? Are you tired of it yet? Or are you still, you know, finding some good stories to share? Oh, no, I don't, I don't get tired of uh, training camp. Training camp is a uh... It's like the purest form of the like the always compete thing that yeah. Pete Carroll and a lot of other con- uh, coaches trying to preach across the league because you, you don't really get to compete in too much, mm-hmm. uh, but once a week uh, in the NFL and it's just so game specific and no one's really in danger of losing their job, you know. But like the reason why a show like Hard Knocks is so popular is because you got you know you got I don't know ninety job interviews kind of going on mm-hmm. all all at once every day you know, in front of the public, you know, on, on top of it being recorded. So um, just on that level of it, no matter if the Russell's here or the quarterback stinks or the quarterbacks are great or the defense stinks or the defense is great, like that that part of it will always be entertaining, at least for now. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, and we'll see how the season goes. But is it also the best time for you to get insights from coaches and managers because the real pressures of the season aren't there yet for them? Um, A little bit. I, I, I tend to talk to the assistant coaches pretty regularly throughout the year. Um, to get insights, but this is uh, this is a good time to get to know some of the new new coaches or any coach in a new role. Um, there's not a ton of them outside of Clint Hurt, but like I talked to Aaron Curry, who's kind of been working with the outside backers, uh, which is an important role in the three four. You know, I try to check in with Dave Canales, uh, who's had a ton of roles, um, but right now he's the quarterbacks coach. Uh, so I try to check in with those guys as often as possible. Um, the thing is, right now is just kind of getting the philosophy down and kind of checking the vibe. Uh, of the team and kind of where they view certain positions and what their scheme stuff, because it's all kind of generic now. Once you get into the week, it's all game specific. Uh, so that that part is good specifically for guys who are in new roles. Like we should talk to Clint Hurt as much as we can. You know, Andy Dickerson, the new O-line coach, I just talked to him a couple of days ago. Like this is the time to take advantage of anybody in a new role and just kind of see how they tick um, before things get going. Also a good opportunity to have a look at those rookies as well. And I wanted to ask you about this rookie class for the Seahawks. How good is it? And who's been the biggest standout early on? Uh, in camp, just like practice only, it's been uh, Tariq Woolen. Uh, he's just been really solid. Him and Kobe Bryant have been really good in practice. I think Tariq, as of late, has been uh, a little better. In the game, it was probably Charles Cross, a game against the Steelers. I rewatched that, got the coach's film version of it. Like, Charles was really, really good. Man. He just looked 
Um, Drew Locke made a comment, um, and he kind of aligns with how I view things, at least when I'm watching film or watching a practice. I try to imagine that everybody's been in the league the same amount of time or that I don't know how long anyone's been in the league and just kind of go by numbers, you know, just check my notes. You know, when I watch the game, I'm like, wow, 67 looks fine. You know, he doesn't look like a rookie or anything like that. There were some other guys who did, you know, look like like rookies, but Charles didn't look that way. Abe Lucas was really good. You know, he might even be better than Charles, you know, uh, considering relative to his draft status. You know, Abe looked like a veteran uh, out there at times, too. A couple run blocking things didn't go his way super well. Uh, but, like, A played really well. I thought Boye Mafe was really good uh, in the snaps that he got. Just a really, really good athlete. So, yeah, the, the some of the top picks looked really good. Didn't get a lot of Kenneth Walker. I think he only had, like, four carries or something like that. Um, but those, those guys I mentioned in the trenches, um, which is really where you're, you know, filling out your team, like, those guys all looked good. You know, obviously not counting Tyreek Smith who didn't play. Well, and as far as the quarterback situation goes, I mean, Geno Smith seems to be the guy. And as far as the type of season that he can have, I mean, you look at the Seahawks offense, they have a lot of weapons, they have a lot of good things going for them. The question comes down to the quarterback. What do you think of the way Geno has shown so far in camp and what he can bring out of the offense if he is indeed the guy and they lean on him heavily this year? I think Geno in camp has just kind of been a guy. You know, he hasn't been super bad, hasn't been super great. On any given day, he's just kind of Geno, you know, um, kind of almost like a backup mentality. I know he wants to be a starter, but, like, the way he performs is almost like a backup, like not a ton of risks, not a ton of costly mistakes, almost like a let me just go out here and just not mess up, you know, type of thing, which is which is fine, I guess, in a Pete Carroll system. His, he wants his quarterback largely to do that. Um, the, the one exception to that for Geno was uh, on the first day that G, whatever day that was that Drew got COVID, um, and Gino had to run with the twos. Gino looked like, you know, a pro bowler running with twos. You know, he was carving up the second-team defense, you know, whereas Drew's red zone opportunities where he went like 0 for 4 in the red zone, which is pretty bad. Uh, Gino came in, went 4 for 4 with three straight touchdowns, you know, whereas Drew threw a pick uh, in his 11-on-11 period to end the day. Gino ended the day with a 60-yard touchdown at the Penny Hart down the sideline. So, like, that day, I think that was Tuesday, uh, uh, Gino looked like the man. But, you know, you got a grade on a curve because of the competition. So if they have to play Geno for 17 games, you'll probably see a lot of what you saw um, in the, against the Steelers, against the Rams, against the Saints, you know, where Geno kept them in it but didn't go win it. You know, I, I don't intend that to rhyme, but, like, it just kind of <laughs> works out that way. Uh, that Geno can keep you in a game as long as everything else functions around him. But when it's time to go win the game, I don't really know if he's uh, reliable, you know, in, in that regard. And – for that role, where the Seahawks are right now, isn't that like the perfect scenario for Pete Carroll? Just to say, hey, don't make those mistakes. We got difference makers in the lineup. We got a defense that should be improved. We got a run game. Uh, is he not the perfect kind of risk-averse quarterback that Pete's looking for? Uh, kind of. I mean, until it's time to go win, right? Like, that's, that's the biggest thing. Like, anyone can, for the most part, can go out there and just not mess up. You know, like, I, not, I, won't, I won't go that far. So I could do that. But, like, <laughs> generally speaking... Most most capable guys, at least guys who are top uh, picked in the first or second round, can go out there and just not mess up. Like if that's all you're asking them to do. But like where Russell made his money is not that he just didn't not mess up, you know, for the first three quarters. And got in the fourth quarter when it's time to go win, he was like, all right, I got this. All right, two minutes, we're down. You know, I, I got this. You know, now Gino was able to do that a little bit against the Rams, being with like 98 yards on his first drive, which is really impressive considering the competition as well. But I just think that consistent you have to be able to be the reason your team wins mm -hmm. games you know um gino 
seems like his objective is to not be the reason that they lose, uh, which, again, kind of aligns with Pete. But at the same time, if you are losing, then they have to make a quarterback change. So I think that's, that's where Geno has to kind of take that next step, not just go out there and just execute the offense as designed. Like, go out there and win us the game, you know, because the defense always isn't going to have it. Your receivers always aren't going to be balling out. You know, your, your special teams ain't always going to be there. Sometimes they're going to mess up. Can you quarterback go out there and win us the game? And we haven't really seen Geno or Drew, for that matter do that you know on a consistent basis well and, and as far as their defense is concerned I think everybody's kind of waiting for the heyday of, of the Legion of Boom 2.0 kind of coming back and if you kind of look at the draft class of some of the defense guys on the defensive side of things showing some promise and some of the potential that they have I can see some people talking themselves into that happening in a, in a couple of years but what do you make of what's happening in camp with the defense and the likelihood or the potential of them being a decent defense this upcoming season uh, I think the defense will be fine you know we haven't we haven't been able to see Jamal or Quandre um, in situations where they can tackle. Um, so that, that changes things a little bit, but I, I think they'll, I think they'll be all right. I think uh, depending on what metric you like to use to weigh defense, whether it's points allowed or yards allowed per game, or some of the advanced metrics that I like EPA per play or football outsider DVOA metric, mm-hmm. they'll probably just be around 15 or 16 uh, in any of those stats, maybe a little higher uh, in like run yards allowed. Uh, maybe they were like top three last year. I could see them being pretty high, depending on how well Cody Barton plays, kind of stepping in for Bobby Wagner. So uh, I think the defense will be okay. But if your defense is just okay and not elite, then you're going to need your quarterback to win you some games. You know, I do think they have some really good players on defense, um, but, you know, other teams have really good players on offense. So like, I think that uh, just we'll see after a few weeks of the regular season that just being okay on defense or even good in one area – but not so good in another area like they were last year, like when they were bad on third down. But that's just not going to get it done consistently, and the good teams with competent quarterbacks are going to make you pay for that. Mike, there was a tweet that was sent out a couple of days ago, and anytime one of the uh, national uh, ESPN personalities tweets something, uh, people generally pay attention. Lewis Riddick uh, tweeting that the Seahawks are building something special, and he's he feels like they're, they're on the cusp of something here. Uh, what's the most promising part of this team right now? Because I think a lot of folks are saying, hey, without Russ, it's going to be rough, but there seems to be some optimism here, at least uh, especially in the last couple of weeks here. Yeah, uh, Riddick is um, just inherently optimistic. And I'll tell you that. I talked to him actually uh, before practice, whatever day they, those guys um, and Orlovsky were out here. Uh, and he told me kind of something similar that he tweeted. He was like, yeah, you know, I really just like the foundation they have. I was like, I agree. But the question is, how many games does foundation win you in 2022? You know, like that potential just means you haven't done anything yet. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that, and, and he'll probably acknowledge that too, but yeah, he's an optimist and you're right. If you look at, if you look at the team and project a little bit, then yeah, you can see some optimism. Daryl Taylor is a good player. I think Gretchen and Wasu is a good player. I think both of them are either 25 or 26. Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs are both under 30. Uh, two of the better players at their positions, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are both under 30. I think Tyler turns 30 next month. Uh, so the receivers can play a little, little longer than that. So you have some good foundational pieces there. If Charles Cross is good, it's a good foundational piece there. Damian Lewis is you know, a decent left guard. They have two decent running backs if they can stay healthy. And Kenneth and Rashad, you know, Noah Fant's probably like a top 10, 12 tight end. Like, it's very easy to kind of look around and be like, oh, there's some good pieces here. Puna Ford, Jordan Brooks, there's some guys who are like in their early, mid-20s mm-hmm. who are, are pretty good and relatively inexpensive. But, again, potential means you haven't done anything. So while a lot of that you have to project the guys getting better every year and playing at a high level, 
that some of those guys may not really pop until 2023, 2024, and that doesn't do much for 2022. Um, and as Lewis pointed out in his tweet, they still haven't figured out the most important position in sports. So, um, like, there's that asterisk there as well. Uh, Mike, before we let you go, uh, Seahawks taking on the Bears at Lumen Field coming up at 5 today. What are you really keeping an eye out for this game? I mean, it's Geno. Yeah. I mean, it's, look, man, Russell's the moneymaker around here. His face was everywhere and commercials and promotions, and he got the loudest applause. He was the most popular jersey, you know, in terms of just, like, media. You know, anything that he did was getting you TV ratings or getting you clicks on your site or people subscriptions for your paper. He was cash cow. Right, like, and there's a reason for that. It's because he was very good at the most important position in team sports, at least in America. So, like, that matters. Geno Smith is not just not Russell. That's a pretty significant drop off in terms of career production on both sides. Russell's been in the league ten years. Right, he's played full ten full seasons. He made nine Pro Bowls. This is year nine for, uh, or I think this is year ten for Geno, and he has more career interceptions than career touchdowns. Right, and I believe he has a losing record as a starter as well, although I don't really care about wins uh, in that regard. But just in terms of production, that's a huge drop-off. They didn't just go from Russ to, a, to Kirk Cousins. You know, they went from Russ to a guy a lot of people in the league consider just be like a high-end backup. And if that's what he's going to be, that tells you everything you need to know about how the team's going to perform. Um, some people will point to some recent examples of guys who have been not super great, and the teams have advanced. You know, Jimmy G and Jared Goff being the most recent examples of teams to reach the promised land with quarterbacks who stink. But, like, go look at some of those years where Jared, Jared Goff and Jimmy G were, quote-unquote, carried by their defenses. Like, they were Pro Bowl caliber dudes. 2019, Jimmy G is really good. 2018, Jared Goff looked like Brett Favre every time he played the Seahawks. So, um, I, yeah. I need to see if Geno can be that. You know, can you be 2018 Jared Goff, which is not an insult. That, that was a really good quarterback that season. Same thing with 2019 Jimmy G. So every time Gino's on the field, I'm watching him first and foremost. Yeah, no question about that. Looking forward to seeing what Gino can show. And, Mike, it's always a pleasure getting you on the show, man. We appreciate your time. I know you have a lot going on today. Make sure to check him out on The Athletic, the Seahawks Man-to-Man podcast. You can also hear him on air as well. So a lot going on with you, Mike. We appreciate your time, man. Thanks for having me. You guys have a good one. You too. Uh, that's Mike Dugar. Filling us, filling us in on the Seattle Seahawks. And it is a massive, massive downgrade. Even if yeah. you're not a big Russell Wilson fan, and even if you think he's not the same guy he was before, he is multiple levels above a Geno Smith. And that's why the Seahawks this year, despite what Lewis Reddick said about yeah. what they're building. And he's not the only one. I think no. over the last couple of weeks, we're hearing more of it. Yeah. It was like really down on the Seahawks, and then now there's some a little bit of optimism. And we'll see where it goes. Yeah. But, I mean, this is a team... It's not hard to envision they have like a four-win season or a five-win season. The thing with Pete Carroll usually is he finds a way to have this team be competitive. What is the ceiling for this club this year? Is it 500? Is it actually competing? Are they a year, year away from that? I just have a hard time looking at the Seahawks team and, and finding anything up finding anything more than a five- or six-win season if things go right. And what I like about Mike is that Always balanced, right? Like, he's going to give it to you straight. And that question about Lewis Reddick and the tweet that he sent out, uh, I asked that for a reason because, yeah, you're, you're hearing a lot more optimism about the Seahawks. But to Mike's point, as good as the defense will be this year, like, it'll be better. There's some young pieces. There's some, you know, Tariq Woolen, Kobe yeah. Bryant. Like, those are some good young pieces. You've got the old line that should be better as well with a couple of rookies there. Quarterback, they make the most money for a reason. Yeah. They are... In a lot of ways, the reason you have success or the reason you are drafting first overall or second overall or third overall, 
And I look at this, and Geno Smith, he could fit the mold and, and be... When I look back at, you know, my fandom, like the Chad Pennington years in Miami. Yeah. He wasn't going to win you games, but he wasn't going to turn over the ball. And the Tony Sperano years, they ended up winning games with the Wildcat, just trying to be innovative. But there was always a ceiling. Or eight-win team, maybe nine wins. Exactly. Go well. Right? And, you know, you might shock the NFL and get 10. But I don't see the Seahawks team doing that. No, I don't see it either. But in a couple of years, if you're able to lay the foundation, add those players, the young guys, and then you're able to add the quarterback in a year or so, then, okay, now you might be talking. Jeff Real texts in and says, if you're a Seahawks fan and watch the, how the Super Bowl team was built, you can't help but be excited about what the Hawks are doing right now. Go Hawks. And, yeah, building towards the future. Uh, and that's something they're going to do. We're going to talk more uh, football on the other side. We are going to be joined by Julio Caravetta, uh, color commentator for the BC Lions broadcast. He's coming up and we'll talk Lions in a bit. Now, obviously, our text message inbox is full of responses and comments on the big hockey move that happened today. Nazem Kadri signing with the Calgary Flames. We have more of that hockey and Canucks talk coming up at 2 o'clock. So a lot more slated on the show. But it's, it's one of those days, Randy, where there's tons of questions coming in. And I think it's worth, as much as we can, try to answer some of these questions as the show goes on. Because people are curious now that this has kind of gone down, especially with the JT Miller situation long-term not being resolved yet. Chris in Nanaimo, Chris from Nanaimo has a trade proposal or a question. He wants to gauge what we think of this trade proposal. Would you trade Miller to the Islanders for Romanov in a 2023 first? Um, no. No. What if the first was unprotected? Which yeah, probably wouldn't happen. But let's say it is. But that that definitely changes my yeah. my thought on I that. I mean, so what do you think of Romanov as a player? So what did the Islanders give up for Romanov? The what sixteenth overall pick, fifteenth overall pick, thirteenth yes. overall pick? Was it right? It 13th. was the thirteenth. I believe. Thirteenth. Yeah. So they traded a thirteenth overall pick to get Romanov. If you get Romanov, who could be a top four defenseman, lefty but can play the right can side, can play the right side. It's physical. Has a lot of the qualities you're looking for for this Canucks. Twenty two years of age. Uh, needs a contract, but is a ten point two C free agent, which Canucks fans are familiar with after they saw Quinn Hughes be that type of free agent. We saw Brock Besser be that type of free agent, and it led to the Canucks having some leverage in negotiations. So he's not in line to get this big contract either. Fair, yeah. He's a top four defenseman that can play the right side, and you get a first round pick. If you can't sign JT Miller, I can think of worse offers. I would want a little bit more, and I think Josh's point about the unprotected thing, like that would yeah. be the, yeah, okay, send it through, send it to the Central Bureau. <laughs> Let's make this happen. But Romanov as a player, uh, twenty two years of age, like there's all those things that you mentioned. Like him, the draft pick is where I'm looking at. Give me a little bit more juice on the futures. Yeah, I mean, Josh, where do you come out on? They came out and uh, and offered. Let's let's say the 16th over 13th overall pick if they talk to JT hypothetically and maybe a guy like Oliver Wallstrom. So this means that in if if the Islanders make that offer, they're essentially trading two first round picks for JT Miller. If they do that, this if they do Romanov in a first, that's essentially trading the 13th overall pick, which you used to get Romanov at the draft, and you're trading another first round pick. Do the Islanders? And I'm just asking yep. from is this realistic from the Islanders side? Do the Islanders view JT Miller as a player that's worth two first round picks? I would say so. I would assume so, at least. Especially if the extension is involved. Yes. Right? Like, that. that is a bit of a game changer here where you're saying, we don't know what the Ask Vancouver quote was uh, <laughs> specific to, uh, you know, as regards the, the draft is concerned, but extension was definitely seemed to be a part of that conversation at the time. If you can, you know, get that extension talk going, 
I think you can justify that. Yeah. I think what Vancouver wants is, like I mentioned before, they'd love to get a um, a young player with control like that's going to be a star down the, in, down the road. But I don't think they're against a player who's already established or getting established in the NHL mm-hmm. who is young, early 20s. Sure, it gets paid a little bit, but fits in long term. I think Romanov potentially, and I, and listen, I don't know anything here about yeah. Romanov and the Canucks. I'm just you know responding to the question being posed here by uh, Chris on our text and message inbox. But I, I'd say that Vancouver, hypothetically speaking, whether it's Romanov or somebody else, I think they would be willing to take on a player on the back end, has a little bit of money, is young. So I don't think they're against that type of package in general. Tambir asks, what do you what do you think of Anthony Bavillier? I don't think Vancouver would make that trade and take on Bavillier's contract. Even though he's a good player, yeah. I don't think they want to, if they're shifting out the JT Miller money, they want that money shifted to address other things. If you bring Bavillier in, who makes four and a half or four or something, you're not getting the cap flexibility. And all you're doing is getting a younger forward with speed, but you're not making your roster, you're not, you're not addressing anything. And as good as Bavillier might be, he's not a real needle mover. So I think what Vancouver would want is if they're taking money on, it's got to be a defenseman. But if they're taking a forward, it would have to be a prospect or a young player that has more flexibility and is on an entry-level contract, maybe. And the name that uh, the two premium positions we're always looking at is defense and center. And if you start looking at young centermen in the Islander system, Atu Ratu is one of the guys that would probably pop up on the radar because he yeah. does play down the middle. He's a, a player that obviously fell in the draft. But would they do? I mean, the, the, the problem. You're right. The problem with the Islanders, though, guys. They have to move money out. If yeah. they want to make the JT Miller trade, they can't sign Romanov. They can't sign Bouchard yeah. and trade for JT Miller. If they want to cap all three, they got to move money out. So before they take on salary, before, yeah. they still have to move one player out. Yeah. Now, is that a Bailey? One team that hasn't acted yet. Montreal made their, or is going to potentially make their move with yeah. John Monaghan. But one team that hasn't acted yet and is below the floor is still the Arizona Coyotes. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm the New York Islanders and you see what's going on with Monaghan, you know what the price is. You yeah. know what the price is. I also just wonder if the Canucks were getting more in a package from the Islanders, say it was Ratu and multiple picks, right. then maybe they're more willing to take on one of those contracts. Yeah. And, like and that, Bovillier. Yeah, exactly. I think, and I think that's the big thing here for Vancouver. If they're moving it out and looking at the Islanders as a trade candidate, because, I mean, I, I don't see them. I think what they would rather do is make a deal with a team and get the help they want and move the money out. And I think that's kind of what they would be looking at with Vancouver potentially. And I think the only way a deal happens with the Islanders is if one of two things happens. One, they make it with Romanov if Vancouver has interest in Romanov. The second one being they would have to move money out to make that deal. But what becomes troubling with that is unless you make a hockey deal, if you trade Bavilia for nothing, you're going to have to sweeten the pot to move yeah. somebody out. And I don't know if they... Then you're you're paying money to move money out, and you're paying money to get an asset to bring somebody in. Yes. So and that, that that just to me becomes all of a sudden you're giving up too much to get JT Miller. So as much as the Islanders are are an option, to me the only realistic way of making that deal is Romanov. And would they be willing to do that? Would Vancouver be willing to do that? And on the Romanov front as well, and this is in regards to Chris and Nanaimo's question, but the reason they went after Romanov is also they're looking for a long term partner next to Noah Dobson. So. The logic is there of how do you move money off and how do you bring an impact player onto your roster? Yeah, Romanov would be a huge bargaining chip. But they also need somebody to play next to Dobson. Exactly. So, so like, uh, I I don't know. Like, I if I'm Lou Lamorello right now, the only way this is going to work of them moving money off the, uh, you know, their salary cap right now is picks Aturatu. Yeah. Like, honestly, like, Romanov is an option, but I don't see that. I don't see you go after this guy. You give up first-round pick. 
you have the leverage, as you mentioned, Sat, to sign this guy to a deal to play alongside your star defenseman. That'd be a bold move to trade him. You know, you know how you would if you this this is one way you could put um, the Islanders over a barrel a little bit. It would necessitate you retaining some money. But if you said, yeah, okay, we'll give you JT and we'll retain half the salary. So the cap hit is 2.75. And you could probably make that work because you can probably squeeze Romanov with this contract situation. One year deal, it's cheap. And you get Dobson signed, you can kind of make it work. But if you're Vancouver, you're saying, we'll retain 2.75. Well, we want unprotected first round pick. Yep. We want Aturati. We want Oliver Wallstrom. And we want a second round pick too. So we're doing you a favor here, but you got to give us a load to do it. I could see that. But would, would the Islanders do that? But that's, I think, where the Islanders find themselves. They find themselves either backed in a corner where they can't upgrade the roster or they're going to have to give more than they thought to improve the team. Overpaid and old at this point. You don't have any options. No. That's why. We'll see what happens to the Islanders. There's another team I think is more likely or a more realistic option for Vancouver. We'll talk about that coming up at 2 o'clock. And we'll talk also about what it takes to keep J.T. Miller, as we did a bit earlier. But if this contract, 7 times 7 can help the Canucks keep him, actually. And we'll discuss that as the show goes on. But up next, we have BC Lions talk coming up. Good friend of the show and one of the best guys around. Julio Caravetta, color commentator for the Lions. He's coming up next right here on Sportsnet 650. The People Show, Satyar Shah, Randy Janda. Lots going on today. Some hockey talk, talk, talk some NFL, the previous segment, and it's now time for us to talk some BC Lions. Well, they're 7-1 seven, one, seven and one on the season. They face the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in Saskatchewan tomorrow. They have the hottest, best young quarterback in the NF, in the CFL right now, with the NFL perhaps coming calling at some point. And to talk about that and more, we have our good friend Julia Caravetta, color analyst for the BC Lions, joining us. And Julia, with all that happening, the Lions being the most exciting team we've seen in a long time, fans getting back in on it, ownership looks pretty good. This has to be one of the most exciting times to be a Lions fan in, well, quite some time. Well, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's uh, been a lot of fun to be involved in. You know, uh, as you said, it's been a while since this team is it's exciting. Uh, I have to think back to when Wally Buono and Dave Dickinson first arrived with Bob Ackles, uh, that, uh, you know, they've been this good. So, um, yeah, super entertaining. And obviously Nathan Rourke has, has been the story. Uh, just, you know, almost running out of words to describe what he's doing. It's just been so extraordinary. It's, it's, it's been off the charts. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just now like you almost wonder – well, can he do what he did last week? Like it's mm-hmm. it, it almost like learned that you're trying to you're expecting it, but you have to think too as a young quarterback that there's going to be a couple of hiccups at least. Um, but man, oh man, he has just been so consistent. And when you start looking at some of the records he might break, you know he's on track to beat the yards record, the completions record, uh, the touchdown record. I, I think he's at least you know second in one of those uh, in terms of pace. The question I have is, and you and you talked about it, is there a hiccup coming? Is the is the cold weather going to provide that hiccup, or is this guy ready for that as well? Well, you know what, I I, I, I wouldn't put it past him. Um, you know, I, I I just I just think the more and more that I'm around him, and as as well prepared as he is for games, 
and you match that with his ability. You know, of course, I think the weather, as we get into colder weather, is going to have a bit of an effect. It, it, it has to. Um, but, you know, I, I, just, I just don't see, you know, many flaws in his game. And the other thing, too, is what I'm seeing now from other teams is they're having to be so creative what, in what they're doing defensively because he's just been that good. Right, his ability to read defense and and once he gets comfortable, like you saw, there's been examples of it where he has started off, you know, and thrown maybe a couple interceptions or had some turnovers and, and all that kind of stuff. But his ability to ba- bounce back from that and figure out what you're doing and then be able to fix it on the go, um, it, it is it's not only a testament to Nathan, but it's also a testament to Jordan McSimmons who's the offensive coordinator who has done an absolutely amazing job, um, you know, guiding his young quarterback. He really is, you know, finding the groove of what Nathan is really good at and adapting on the goal. And, and just, you know, that ability um, is, is leading to, to all of this, right? You, and I, there's been, a, you know, a lot of examples of it, but the most recent example, I, I look at what Brian Burnham did you know what, that third and two touchdown where mm-hmm. Nathan hit him over the middle and he ran into the end zone. Like, you know, that's a coverage that Calgary was running. They were trying to confuse him a little bit, but his ability to adapt to it and their ability to pick up the blitz and him hit the, hit the home run. Like, he's, you know, for young quarterbacks, usually defenses are going to, they're going to try to blitz you. They're going to try to pressure you because they think that's the, that's the quickest way to rattle you. Mm-hmm. But Nathan is proving over and over again that if you do that, he is gonna he's gonna find the weakness and beat you with it, and that's a scary thing for defensive coordinators because it's almost their go-to, right? Let's put pressure on him. Let's let's try to force him into a mistake. But his body of work up to this point is proving that if you do that, you might get him once, but he's gonna get you more more times, and so it's gonna be interesting to see what what. Uh, Saskatchewan tries to do defensively against them. Uh, they've been doing everything from blitzing to only rushing three, only rushing two, and dropping everybody. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they try to attack them. Well, you, you know, Julio, you're so right. I mean, football is a humbling sport. I mean, any week something can happen, and, you know, you, you, you come down from that high. But you're a former quarterback. And sometimes you just know because there was times when we looked at even Casey Printers, Printers when he came up and he was really good right away. But there was always some clear flaws. I mean, it was always clear that, OK, he, yeah. he does kind of pre-med, he does kind of, you know, show you where he's going to go. You know what I mean? But he beat you with his yeah. athleticism and he had a great arm. But yeah. you knew there were flaws in his game. And even though we haven't seen Rourke for a long time, to your point. The flaws are not evident. He goes through his progression so well. He, he puts the ball in the spots you need to put him. But more than anything, and what you were alluding to, is the poise and the leadership he has. And for a guy his age, not to get rattled and to be able to hang in the way yeah. he hangs in and, and to have guys you know, follow his way, veteran players, guys who play in the NFL, sometimes you just know. And I think with him, he just shows it. And I think with guys like you that have seen it, you know when you know and you're seeing it right now. Yeah, yeah, you, uh, that's an excellent point. And... It is. You said it exactly. You know, I, I, you know, there, there's obviously a lot of things that you can work on as a quarterback fundamentally, mm-hmm. right? The way you throw, the way you drop. But there are certain qualities that elite quarterbacks have 
that I believe is innate. You have it or you don't, right? And Nathan has a certain ability to be able to, one, wash away a mistake and not have it affect him. And his ability and his poise to read a defense, again, it speaks to his work ethic and the kind of time and effort he's putting into understanding defense and doing all those things. Now, and, and when I say that, all quarterbacks do that, right? A lot of quarterbacks, most, you know, 90% of the quarterbacks, maybe outside of Kyler Murray, had it written into his contract, but that's another story for another day. Um, <laughs> but you know what I'm trying to say? Like, a yeah. lot of guys put the effort into, into watching film, but it's another thing to be able to go out and execute it, right? There's another thing to execute under pressure and anxiety that are things that you cannot manufacture, right? You can't manufacture pressure and anxiety in a practice, right? You're only going to get it in a game. And mm-hmm. you can apply that to a lot of a, every sport, right? You can have someone who goes out and practices and you see them, you're like, wow, mm-hmm. I mean, this guy's impressive. But when you get him when it's crunch time, right, they just can't, they just can't find a way to deliver. Now, you know, as I said, the, the, the game, the position of quarterback, physically, all that stuff, yeah. But so much of it is mental. And that mental strength to be able to fight through things. And that is something that Nathan has shown such an abundance of that marvels me. Like, I, I, I'm just in awe of what this kid has been able to do where he is in his career. It, it's just amazing. And um, it's just so much fun to watch a guy execute the position the way that he's doing it right now. Julio, I'm very much of the opinion that you enjoy the here and now, but some Lions fans are looking to the future. Is the NFL going to come calling for this kid? <laughs> well, you know, it, it, to be as blunt as yes, uh, there's just no question that, you, you know, I, you know I, and I'm, this is just me, right? I, I know what I see, right? I, I know having been around the game, a long time, I know what I see. And there's just no way that, you know, if you're a personnel guy or a GM, that you're not seeing the same thing. So what it tells me is that, of course, he is going to have an abundance of interest. In interest. The question is going to be how serious that interest is going to be. For all we know, you know, there could be a guy out there right now who's watched every game as a general manager and says to himself, this guy's better than our backup right now. Or this guy could maybe make a run as, as, as a starter. I don't, I don't know what that answer is. But there could be, right? And, and, and the thing about it, too, guys, is this, is that we all know in football, the quarterback position is the money position. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, they, they search high and far for a quarterback. And when you see what he's doing, it just I, I find it very, very hard to believe that um, he's not going to have a lot of interest. And it'll be interesting to see at the, in the end, you know, if someone believes in what they see and have seen in him, whether they give him, you know, a really, really good opportunity to, to, to make and play on a team down there. 
Yeah, well, I mean, and that's going to be ultimately the big question about it. But I mean, you know, for the next couple of years, I think we can we can we can be assured that he'll be the quarterback here for the BC Lions. But what also makes you know this Lions team you know such a load this year, Julio. It's is how good they are defensively, how deep their pass rush is, and how they get after the quarterback on every single snap. I mean, when it comes to the team itself, what flaws do they actually have right now, especially with the way the defense is playing? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I actually talked to Ryan Phillips yesterday, the defensive coordinator, and I said to him, you know, like I, I know a lot of the talk um, is about Nathan and the offense and what they're doing, but what, what Ryan Phillips is doing with that defense is, is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Like you think about last week when they needed it, when they were down, and that, needed, that defense needed to lock it down. You know, they, they allowed a field goal on the first possession in, in Calgary against a very, very good Calgary offense and completely shut them down. So I think what it is is that we know they've got a lot of great veterans in the back end and they're, very, they're solid, but I think when we're, this is what Ryan was saying to me, that it's the buy-in into the system, right? It's the buy-in at every level when it comes to the defensive line, it comes to linebackers, it comes to defensive back, when they believe in the system, then you're going to have, you're going to have success because everybody's on the same page. And then when you win like this, you now create a culture in your locker room where you see your quarterback, for example, who's spending all this time watching film and getting ready. Now all of a sudden that permeates right now you've got, and he was telling me this on the defense, their, vet, their group of defenders, they're getting together after practice as a group without the coach watching the film and trying to make themselves better. So when you have that, that commitment and buy-in, we always talk about the locker room and, and, you know, the chemistry of the locker room. That's all part of it, right? The buy-in into what you're doing and believing in what you're doing and having everyone, you know, they're, 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 everybody's in. And that is a fun, fun place to be when you, especially for a lot of the veteran guys who've been on a lot of different teams, they'll, they'll tell you there's just something different about this team. And, you know, it, it's exciting to be around because uh, you just never know what you're going to get. What you do know you're going to get is entertainment, right? You know that what they're, what they're capable of doing. And up to this point, their level of consistency has been, has been fantastic. Absolutely. Consistency. You have that buy-in and they got a lot of depth, whether it's the defensive line, whether it's the wide receiver group, you've got a, a lot of guys that can, you know, do the work as well. Now, the question I have for you is, I know they play Saskatchewan this weekend and the weekend after. I'm not, I'm not overlooking that, Julio, but week four, I look back to week four, they played the Bombers. That team is yep. now nine and one. This team is seven and one. If you're kind of reassessing or looking at these teams again, the top two in the West, how do they stack up against the Bombers now? <laughs> oh God, that's a good question. Um, I think that when you get to where both these teams are, one, you have to give respect to a team that's a defending great cup champion twice, right? Like they, they, they are the champs and they came in here in week four and they showed that. Now I think what it did too for the lions is that it showed them where they need to go mm-hmm. and what they need to do to compete at that level. And, you know, I think, I think uh, Coach Campbell said this earlier on to us, is that they might have put too much into that game, right? Like, like they, they, they were it was just like, you know, we're, it was a matchup game, blah, blah, blah. But remember, they were favored. So if you're going to – I think still that 
Winnipeg may have a slight edge, but when it comes to football and it comes to sports, any given day somebody can beat. And mm-hmm. I, 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 for one, am going to be super excited about seeing that matchup. And, again, not, look, not looking past any opponent because there's a lot of good football teams out there. But, man, oh, man, is that going to be fun to watch if these two teams still are on this trajectory of, of with their record. Uh, you could imagine how big that uh, and because I believe that's a back-to-back in October. Mm-hmm. Um, and that'd be a, that's going to be a hell of a that's going to be a hell of a back-to-back. That's for sure. Well, and, you know, looking at this week's matchup with the Rough Riders, and as much as last time, you know, that the Lions really took over that game in the second quarter and beyond, and it really looked like, you know, there's a different class between the two teams. It's never easy in Saskatchewan, and this Riders team isn't really that bad. What kind of challenges could they pose in the rematch here coming up in Saskatchewan? Yeah. Again, an excellent question. And I think that you have a team in Saskatchewan that, you know, they play under a microscope in that market, right? Yeah. And Everything is dissected. You know, I know a lot of people were all over Cody Fajardo last week to get in Edmonton. And, but I will say this, that they're a team that has a lot of talent, and a lot of that talent has been injured. Mm-hmm. So from what we understand, um, I think A.C. Leonard, who is out, is one of their defensive end, maybe back. Pete Robertson, who is their, 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 their leading uh, sack guy is, is going to be back. Garrett Marino, who comes back after the uh, suspension, is back. Um, they're slated. I don't know if it's going to be this week, but Shaq um, is, is going to be back, uh, their receiver. And then their other receiver, uh, Keenan Moore, is going to be back. So they're a team that's getting some very, very key components back. Um, now, having said that, they also have some problems on the offensive line. And so they're dressing two new offensive linemen there, and we all know that continuity up front is such a key, key factor. And we know, too, that the game is won and lost on the line of scrimmage. The team that does the best, best there is going to usually be the winner. So this is not going to be, you know, an easy game. It's always a difficult place to play because of the fans. They get right into it. I'm expecting a, a great football game again uh, because the other part of this is that just as Winnipeg does to everybody that they play, now you're getting everybody's best shot. Mm-hmm. Nathan Rourke isn't sneaking up on anybody. They know what's in front of them. They know that they have to be at their best in order to, to win. So you're going to get every team's best shot. You don't have a, you don't have a team in Saskatchewan that's saying, oh, the Lions are coming in. You know, <laughs> yeah. we should be best. They have everybody's attention. And, um, you know, and what Nathan's been able to do on offense, you're not going to tell me that that defense isn't prepared, uh, you know, and, and wanting to show that they can stop him in that offense. So that all leads to great storylines and, and always leads to a great game. And, and Julio, before we let you go, a lot's been rightfully made about Omar Doman and his ownership and, and everything he is. He's showing what is with his commitment to the organization and the province. Yeah. But what about the program that is being built right now by Rick Campbell and Neil McAvoy at the top of the organization of football ops and as a head coach? I mean, you, you know, you were kind of mentioning a bit before when Wally was here and go back to the Ackles days. And anytime the Lions have been really good, they've done so with great management, right? Yeah. What do you make of the program that's being built here at BC? Well, yeah, okay, well, I'll start with Amar Dolman, and you, you said it. I mean, what Amar's done is he's brought, he's brought a, a great energy 
He's bought great ideas. He's a guy that you can tell he's passionate and wants to be, he wants to be successful. So that business side of it is, it's completely turned itself around, right? Because mm-hmm. of him and the people that he knows in this market, he's a local owner who is very, very well respected. Um, and so, you know, people want to get involved because of his relationship with everybody else. And then you add in the fact that, you know, Rick Campbell is a guy that, you know, I don't have to tell you, everybody knows, you know, his dad and, and what he did in this league. He's, he's grown up in the CFL. He's got a tremendous amount of experience and, and been around a lot of football teams. He knows what it takes to win. And every, every guy that I talk to just loves playing for him. You know, he's a great guy who understands the game and understands the game from the player's perspective. And he has that nice balance of, of knowing what he has to do from a, a, an operation standpoint and, and how practices need to run. But he also understands what the players need in order to be successful as far as, you know, rest and, you know, doing all the things outside of the locker room that, that provide that great um, chemistry, right? So mm-hmm. um, it's, just, it's just one of those things that uh, you look at all those ingredients. And then the other thing I want to mention is Neil McAvoy, a guy that I've known for a long time who worked his way up through ticket sales and did everything for this organization and then finally gets his opportunity as a general manager and is doing a a tremendous job. And I'm really happy for him because he loves the game. He loves this team. And for him to have this kind of success really, really makes me happy. He's the one and only Julio Caravetta, color commentator for the BC Lions, a former quarterback for the Lions, and one of the best guys around. Julio, it's always great having you on, man. Incredible insight as always on the Lions. And enjoy Saskatchewan the best you can, and and hopefully the Lions come away with another win. (laughs) Thanks, my friend. I really, really appreciate it. Anytime. Love talking to you guys. Uh, that's Julia Caravetta. It's always a pleasure chatting with Julio, man. And, you know, just on the Lions front, I mean, you know, we see the text inbox, you know, lighting up uh, during that conversation and people and people having a bunch of questions. There's this one question that came in, uh, one comment, one com- comment and one question. It's kind of like, you know, he's like, I got a question and a comment on the postgame show when somebody calls in. I yeah. got a comment and I have a question that I want to ret- respond to on the text inbox. This one from Bill in New West. Uh, and I think sometimes when we talk, and you pose the question, Randy, about Nathan Rourke and whether he gets a look in the NFL, there's a difference between asking if a player is going, going to test out and see if he can play in the NFL and saying if a player is an NFL-caliber quarterback. And uh, Billy in New West says, it's kind of mind-blowing, but not surprising the Van Media thinks Nathan Rourke is an NFL-caliber quarterback. People dump on the Seahawks, but... Even Drew Locke is better, yada, yada, yada. Remember Adam Bigheel, outstanding in the NFL, and then he went to the South, yada, yada. Exactly. Bill's not wrong. Generally speaking, most players that go from the CFL to the NFL don't have success. Even stars don't. Now, there has been the Jeff Garcia, right? There has been Doug Flutie. There has been Warren Moon. I mean, we've seen Cam Wake. There have been exceptions, you know what I mean? But generally speaking, he's not wrong. But what we're saying about Nathan Rourke, and I won't speak for you, but I think our point here is, is he good enough to want to test out the NFL? Is he going to do what printers did? Is he going to do what every decent CFL quarterback has done at some point? Yep. They've tried at some point. Dave Dickinson did too. San went Diego to the Chargers, Chargers. Came back again. They will try. It may not work, but will they try? And when Nathan Rourke is playing as well as he is, if he continues to play this way, 
is he at some point going to give it a try? That's the question, and it's a legitimate question because most most good CFL quarterbacks, if they're good enough, will at least try if they can. You mentioned uh, Dickinson. I'll throw. I know I mentioned this name a few a few. I think it was last week. Henry Burris, one yep. of the all time greats in the league, was also hanging out with the Chicago Bears for a couple of years. Uh, go through. You know, even non quarterbacks, Solomon Elamimian. Yeah, he was with the Vikings for a bit. So you get an opportunity. Now that doesn't mean they're going to be the backup. That doesn't mean that they're going to be the starter. Cam Wake. Jeff Garcia, those are outliers. Like those guys are are special, special talents that right. had the right opportunity at the right time. And if you saw Cam Wake play here in BC, you knew he wasn't going to stick around. Like he was just an absolute freak of an athlete. Yeah. But the opportunity for Nathan Rourke will come. Now, the Big Hill example is a good one. But I think, you know, talking to Adam at the time too, awesome, awesome person, great guy that we saw play here in Vancouver yeah. with the BC Lions. But that was a really important moment for him. It gave him the opportunity to measure himself against that league. Yeah. And even though he didn't stick there, for every player, there's always that inner fire to say, all right, can I try? They all dream of, of playing course. in the NFL at some point. So it's not an it's not necessarily of this guy's gonna turn into a star there. No, nobody's saying that. Yeah. Right. But comes. You have to you have to consider it. And some of these guys take it, some of these guys give it a try. I think that opportunity is going to be there based on the way this guy's running the league right now. Yeah. Uh, one more thing I'll, I'll answer really quickly. A couple of people asked, can you expl- like, ask Julio to explain the pyramiding rules? People have been asking about that. Essentially, it is no player can stand on another player. You can't use the post. As, you can't use anybody as a prop to elevate them to block a field goal. You can't. That's what the pyramiding rule is. So players can't stack on top of each other to try to... You know, you can't lift the player up. So basically, that's can't what propel the anybody. You up. can't propel anybody up. You can't, you know, get on anybody's back and, and lift up and try to block something. So that's what the pyramiding rule is. All right. Uh, a lot of good talk on the Seahawks and especially on the BC Lions. Back in on some hockey talk. The Vancouver Canucks. JT Miller. What is going to happen next? Nazem Kadri. He's with the Flames. We'll discuss right here on Sportsnet 650.